Hello. Hey, Paul. How you doing? I'm all right. All uh, right. I, I just uh, finished up a um, a bachelor dinner kind of thing. <laughs> oh, all by yourself? Yeah. Wait, what do you? You sometimes uh, post pictures of the meals that you make. Yes. Did you post tonight's picture? I haven't posted. I did. I did snap. I did take a picture, but I haven't posted it yet. Was it just like a brontosaurus burger or like a no, no. big rib? <laughs> King Henry VIII, chicken I, bone? I am a carnivore, but like, yeah, that, that would have been good. A giant turkey leg or something. But no, it's a, um, I did something which to me is even more decadent. I took uh, like a pound of uh, asparagus and fried it in a little bacon fat. <laughs> Not, so you took the... The Lord's vegetables, and you infected them with um, the the pig fat. Yeah, sautéed, sautéed, not not like deep fried. But then I made a little sauce with a half and half mustard and and soy sauce, and and put that over it. Sounds crazy, Paul. <laughs> but it's I, good. I I'm sure it's good. I I, I like it. Uh, asparagus. It's like uh, in November. It's one of these things. I don't know what I don't know what you think the future holds. But, Just asparagus. Uh, that's all. Yeah, but um, we tr we eat a lot of local foods, and and we've been gradually getting more and more stuff from local farmers and whatnot, as we find sources. But things like uh, having you know asparagus from Peru, I think it won't be that long before that's just not um, maybe available, or at least not not done so much you know right it's it's weird it seems like that we'll do this local thing and then the rest of the world will start suffering because we're not using their services and then everyone in peru is going to be dying just with asparagus everywhere <laughs> we're going to have to but we'll start buying it back from them well, so that they can live too they'll and be we have to buy distantly they'll be suffocating in asparagus well a lot of i think a lot of these countries that export most of their good food they're uh, poor people are starving because they don't get they we can pay more for the food than they can you know? right I don't know it's, now, it's weird did you did you just have a pound of asparagus with covered in all this stuff or did you have other, anything else it was it was wasn't quite a pound but um uh, I had some uh, buffalo sausage a little side of buffalo sausage Ooh, that sounds good and some uh, papadums some Indian papadums so you you have a totally different menu than I have. I was I I'm I'm sure I do. Grace cooks very traditionally. She makes a lot of things from scratch. But when I'm on you know bachelor mode, I I well eventually I settle into some patterns. But uh, so what you what did you have for dinner? Uh, I made a pizza. Oh, nice. Yeah, but real you know with real real dough that you know takes a while to rise and you punch down. So you do make pizza from scratch. Yeah. <laughs> our, yeah. Ver our very first uh, interview chat, I told you about interviewing a guy who made pizza from scratch, and then you started to say, I have a pizza recipe I want to share. And I said, really? And you said, no. Really? No. I can't remember that. <laughs> our first uh, first. Podcast. I must always be talking about pizza, because that's, <laughs> that's, do, do that's odd. Do you eat pizza once a week or something like that? Yeah, I would say once a week. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of it's kind of on the uh, on the day when there's not a lot of time to make dinner usually. Yeah, I don't know. Even though it's time consuming, I think of it as simple, but and quick. But it does take time to make the let the dough rise and punch it down and all that. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I I haven't done that, but um, I make chili one night a week. So. Oh, I love chili. So it's basically I just. We've been getting bison from this local meat market, ground bison and bison sausage and all that. It's grass-fed. It's really good. And so I start with a pound of bison, and then uh, everything else varies depending on what I feel like. <laughs> so. Do they still do they still have wild bison, you know, wandering the plains, or, or I wonder? I don't. Or, or is everything domesticated? Like, there are there, I know there are wild horses, but are there wild cows or wild... <laughs> wild bison or are they just all they've all been caught like i always I, wonder about that i i don't know i know when we like when we buy bison they're not like running down a wild you know the last wild bison on the plains they're they're you know they're they uh take a, a 
farm-raised animal. But even the farm-raised ones, they look wild. I think that's why. Oh, yeah. They look like there's an Indian hiding behind them. Yeah. You know, they're well, raggedy, and they have the they're, they just look w- sort of semi-wicked. Yeah. No, I'm sure. I think they are. They're uh, they're they're free-range and they're grass-fed, which makes their meat a lot healthier than supposedly than corn-fed meat. Mm. So. Corn-fed. Corn-fed meat. <laughs> <laughs> Corn-fed, corn-fed Americans, corn-fed people, mm-hmm. <laughs> and now, now it's all GMO corn. Every bit of corn you can get now is GMO, and people are having weird health issues related to that that they don't talk all, about. All the corn is. I think so. I think like they no longer because they're trying to keep it separate. But every time you know some pollen blows off from one farm to another stuff uh, like their proprietary genes go wandering. oh i see so the the um the vitally natural corn is almost gone i think so it's all been i think you could still mechanized you, like you could still corn. find like the um the you know the original like uh, varieties but as far as the hybrids that they grow and all that i think it's all gmo same thing with soy I don't know. It's uh, it's a little scary. This idea that we could, because they were playing around with things like that. This Terminator gene, where you have to buy seed every year, and the seed is like it. It's uh, the plants are sterile. Oh right. And that doesn't seem like a very smart idea. Like, let's get that into the. It's like Jurassic Park. Let's get that into the wild. Why? Why did they <laughs> want to do that? What was the benefit of that? The benefit to Monsanto for being able to charge every year for seed, and farmers can't save seed and grow it again. Just mm. like taking the thing that that you know plants do naturally. <laughs> and, right. Uh, I don't know. Well, I don't know what to tell you about the the caffeine. I I I can't get to sleep, but I often pop back awake if I have a lot of tea at night i'm drinking it the the what is it malachi malarkey malachi mccormick malachi mccormick good friend of mine yes the decent tea and um because once i start thinking about black tea at night i i just can't settle for herbal tea yeah i need that that little that morning punch of it yeah well it makes me um it makes me chatty. My uh, when I used to go visit my mother from college, uh, when I would go home visit my family, uh, my mom would take me out and she wanted to chat, but I was so uh, usually so introverted I wouldn't talk much. She'd take me out to the Barnes and Noble and get me a double espresso just so I'd talk. <laughs> uh, did you know that that was her trick, or was that her private she, trick? No, she well she told me. She said okay. I, I, she said she liked it when she could get me to you know start babbling. Mm. (laughs) that's sweet that's that's a sort of a sweet uh, espresso mother story yeah yeah because you know i don't think my mother even though i i don't talk that much i don't think she would you know want to inject me with any kind of adrenaline (laughs) or amphetamine to get me to start chatting with her i think she's pretty happy with the limited (laughs) with your level of 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 chat already yeah well that's good Um, She's more of a sleepy time mother. What follows is a near complete non sequitur uh, because I did a little editing. The context was uh, we were talking about Sean's son learning to tie his shoes and a TED talk uh, video that explains to you how to tie your shoes uh, more efficiently and more effectively. Grace keeps getting invited to TEDx Detroit. Wow! And she uh, doesn't. She like doesn't want to go. She's doesn't want to participate because she's just too. Um, uh, she feels like they're too elitist. I guess. It definitely has that feeling. Yeah. I mean, I feel I feel like when I'm watching those any of those TED things, um, like it's not meant for me. It's meant for a class higher. Like it's meant for, I don't know, I just get that feeling, you know, it's a sort of that post-collegiate, uh, high-tech, wealthy, it's yeah. a mixture of, uh, I don't know, it's not an oligarchy or a, uh, it's, it has something to do with both wealth and, and ruling. 
But did you ever apply to them? No, I don't really know what it is very much. If you want to attend in the live audience of the the main TED, you have to apply. You have to um, then you have to pay too. You know to to go there. I, I don't think it costs very much, but it costs something. And they have to vote you in, I think. So I mean, I looked at the application. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> oh yeah, okay. that sounds. Yeah, there's a vague creepy quality to it, kind of like Est or something, without uh, any overlaid philosophy that you could. Look yeah, at. I do. I, I have to say, I do like a lot of the talks, and I like the performers they get. I think they're cool. But Grace's point is, they're mostly talking to, you know, when they're talking about all these projects to help the poor and whatnot, or help this and help that group. Mostly, they're talking to each other and not these people you know not their i don't know it's it's weird well that seems like the mechanism you know that that we have right now for for change it's just people it's like you know if you want to cure a disease in, in africa mark zuckerberg has to talk to bill gates yeah, you know? yeah. it's not like uh, they have to actually go to africa or know anything or even meet a scientist they just have to talk about it and go let's do it and then they throw the money in that direction and they along the way, someone has to wear really expensive designer sunglasses and carry a Louis Vuitton bag out to this yeah. village in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> oh, oh, now, does, has Grace been invited to present or uh, to be in the in the? Is she qualified for the audience level? Or what it, you know, I'm not even really sure, but she does. She she has sort of a strange career. She's a college dropout, and then she wound up. Um, getting involved in oh public health for a while. She was going to be a grad student in public health, uh, and then she dropped out of that program because she got so disgusted with it. Uh, and then she um, she sort of has a consulting business where she does what's called future searches, where she works with uh, nonprofits mostly, and she and her partner get everyone together in a room and they, or a tent, I've seen it done in a tent, they cover the walls with uh, these giant poster concept maps of, and then they run like a three-day discussion where they wow. f figure out what the group is going to focus on and who they're going to hire and what they're going to do. It's really cool. So, That's intense. Yeah, we, we did, there was a, a group in the middle of... Uh, Pennsylvania that runs a land trust uh, called the School of Living, which sounds kind of generic, but they're like uh, un totally unreconstructed um, communal hippies living in the woods in Pennsylvania up on some mountains. Mm. And uh, they had this big gathering where they invited people from various intentional communities around there in a big tent. And, um, and we all came and then I got invited to uh, to DJ a big party for mm. all these people, and they had homemade liqueurs and mm. uh, and crazy people, wonderful crazy people with long hair, uh, dancing in male and female dancing in skirts like a Grateful Dead concert. <laughs> Are you drawn at all to the the intentional community lifestyle? Yeah, we. When we, that's how Grace and I kind of met, not not exactly, but we got involved in a group in Ann Arbor that was trying to set up these communities. But we were both a little disenchanted because they turned into basically really expensive condos. So mm -hmm. it, basically condo associations uh, for rich white folks who, uh, you know, who, who wanted to isolate themselves even further. And they were always way outside of a downtown, you know. They mm. were just on indifferent chunk of land next to a freeway somewhere. And I don't know, real estate in Ann Arbor was just uh, in, insane and, and is still insane. And that's sort of why we're doing this urban homesteading thing. <laughs> so... What, what does that mean exactly when you, or when you, when you say it, urban homesteading? Well, for us, it's like um, the same thing's happening, starting to become a thing to do like in Detroit, where there are just 
blocks and blocks of abandoned, decaying houses. And the same thing is true of a lot of Saginaw, too. It's worse, like, on the other side of the river, but even in this section, there's so many foreclosures and so many people have left that there's a... So it's like urban homesteading we think of is like the reverse of white flight. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to move into a city proper, into the actual city rather than into the suburbs and um, set up, you know, buy a home and try and retrofit it and live a little bit differently. Like um, eventually we'd like to grow a good chunk of our own food. We want to have chickens and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Right, and then, but yet it's it's in this kind of urban setting, not what you'd expect. It is. It's, it's not the city, but it's not the you know the country. It's what you'd call an inner ring suburb. It's, right. It, the, the houses are pretty close together, but they're still good size lots. Mm. So. Have you seen the uh, the BBC uh, show Good Neighbors? No. no. Or Good, what is it? Uh, what is it called? It, it had two names. You know, it had the British name, and then when it came over, it was a show from the seventies. Um, but it's about—it's basically about that. That's the premise. Mm. Uh, it's uh, this couple um, who buy a house, and you know, it's in whatever Kensington. Just and then he quits his job in advertising, and they turn their backyard into like a farm. And they raise chickens and. Uh, but it's a very, uh, I, I, I watched it recently and I thought that it felt very current. Yeah. Like I, I feel like maybe in the seventies that was, there was some, you know, movement like that as well, but the se- me, it felt, it felt like it was happening again. The seventies was the whole, uh, start of like the whole, you know, the late sixties or early seventies, the whole earth catalog and homesteading, there was a homesteading movement. They usually meant moving to, you know, the country. And a lot of, some of our friends in Ann Arbor, they were raised in settings like this. Like mm. their their parents were like college professors who decided to go, you know, become dirt farmers instead. And, and they wound up living in a barn, you know, mm. <laughs> and had to learn how to slaughter pigs and stuff like that. Mm. And that's, uh, that's pretty trippy. I mean, I grew up in a trailer, you know, I don't really know nothing about <laughs> about you know raising no chickens but um i don't know we're we're we just feel like things are but it, it is saginaw is still sort of culturally in the 70s like people are friendly like it's the 70s <laughs> it feel, mm, it that's feel, nice it feels like we're in the carter administration you know we talk to our neighbors a lot of people smoke still really and in Ann Arbor, just that's just not done anymore. It's like that's it's just it was so. I, but it also I love when you can travel back in time like that. You know, you can drive around the country, and it's like different towns are stuck in different decades. Yeah, you know, and, and that's yeah. smoking is one sign of a certain decade, and then how many people are outside? You know, <laughs> how neighborly they are. It's, yeah, yeah, it's very interesting, and then you can even see. Just like the way that the the people dress and the streets and the houses and how they hold themselves, it, or you know, they're just stuck in like 1982. Or I love that though that we're not all in the same spot. We're not all in 2000 and whatever it is, 11. No, I mean the country itself. Also, states are so different, you know, and yeah. and, and drive around the U.S. and realize that we think of. You know, people don't think the same. Yeah. I wish that we should. I wish someone would find the the sort of the the oldest, not the oldest town, but the oldest. You know, the town that's sort of maintaining the 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 furthest back kind of uh, culture and environment. Like culturally, the oldest. Yeah, they all smoke and whatever. They they just they have all the old. Uh, cultural positions and then just unchanged somehow and don't even know it that would oh. be a good hunt it's i would guess it's probably have to be in like the maritimes like um nova scotia kind of area or then look around the world and you find like all these bizarre combinations of old and new like there's a national geographic piece where uh People are, uh, these are reindeer herders, and they're these incredibly pale-skinned 
white-haired, like, Norwegian and Swedish folks across the borders, I guess, and they live, uh, sometimes they live in yurts and they, you know, dry reindeer meat and whatnot, but they also show them in their regular homes, and it's like a a, a modern, you know, right. a modern house, modern kitchen, but then, you know, on the kitchen table, they're hand uh, scraping reindeer skin. Right. <laughs> And at the set, there's a Seven Eleven store, and they have a stuffed reindeer in the window. That's so weird. <laughs> I feel so. Uh, I don't know. I, I even just hearing about it, the intentional communities and the, like the 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 people of the whatever their that school thing. The school, school of school living. of living. Yeah. Um, and then these Norwegians with their reindeer. I'm I'm regularly reminded how unfamiliar most of the world is to me. Yeah, you know, how I how little I know of what's going on, and I don't know if I find that upsetting or or pleasing or uh, just confusing. I I kind of find it pleasing that the world is not uh, all homogenized. Mm. You know, I guess it's so you feel like these are interesting things that you don't hear about, and you wonder why you don't hear about them more. You know. I, I, it's like I hear about Kim Kardashian every day, but I'd rather hear more about reindeer herders. <laughs> a little bit more about them. There's there's a film uh, that I'm watching uh, slowly, and I'm trying to get Grace to to watch it. Although we don't quite have the same taste in movies, but it's a uh, it's from. Um, uh, 1990 or 1989-1990 or so it's by Vim Vendors it's called Until the End of the World oh yeah and uh, there was I remember seeing it in the theater at the Michigan Theater which is an art theater uh, um, and really loving it and my people I was with maybe not loving it quite so much but uh, which is usually what happens when I go to movies with friends <clears throat> wasn't that um, like Wings of Desire 2 no, it's it's. I think it's prior to both of those. Really, it was before Wings of Desire. Wings of Desire Two is called is the sequel to that was uh, so far away, so close. Oh yeah, for some reason, <clears throat> the 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 poetic quality of so far away, so close, and until the end of the world, and seemed the same to me. Yeah, well, that they, could they, be. They, I don't know. Seem like lines of the same poem or something. I don't know for sure what uh, or order they were made in, but. There's a there's a long version. The the theatrical one was cut way down. There's a long version which is what is it three four and a half hours or so. Uh, and I've been watching that one, and I've never seen this. And you can't buy uh, region one DVD of it. Mm. What do you what do you think of the this lengthy version that you haven't made your way through yet? No, I haven't finished it. It's. It's amazing, but I was reminded of it because we're talking about all these parts of the world. Like, it's this slow movie, and I really like slow movies mm. in general that, that where you can have a chance to look around, mm. <laughs> I guess. But a lot of it, a lot of the sort of the, feels like the reason the movie was made was just to travel around the world. Because it, it goes, they, they go through China, they go to Japan, they're going to wind up in Australia, you know, all these all these great locations. And I've just been thinking so much about, he was trying to come up with this sort of vision of the future. His technology is like uh, way behind, you know, w- was way off the, off the, off base. But it was funny, like mm-hmm. uh, all these little animated user interfaces and whatnot that were, You'd really, you really want, you'd rather use one of those than, you know, the nav system that we have in our cars now or whatnot, you know. Mm. I did, I did see that movie, but I I don't remember it. Does it start off as like a, like it's almost like a science fiction space movie and then it changes? Well, it's all, it's all on earth, but the, the premise is that this satellite is going to come down and it may come down anywhere on earth and spill radiation over in the entire planet. Uh, and so people are really on edge and then, uh, it's sort of based around the, the life of this woman who's like a, a party animal with no 
great, you know, like just wanders around and she's separated from her boyfriend and wandering around and comes like, it's sort of a caper film in a way. She meets this guy who has stolen this technology, which is, it turns out to be this visor that allows you to record, uh, like, um, you can record things as you see them with your eyes and then play back that recording directly into someone else's, uh, brain hmm. so do you remember who the actors are william hurt is the the sort of male lead and okay. sam neil okay uh is and then i for oh, was uh what's her name i know she's died which is sad because she wasn't very old um uh, but uh i'd have to look her up but she uh keeps changing hairstyle and hair color between like this black uh hmm. black glossy hair and this big big blonde or it's pretty funny because it's always startling <laughs> and you see her in the next scene and you're not for a, for a moment you're not sure it's her hmm. yeah i don't know it, it's i think it's a cool movie but it probably my favorite movie really your favorite win wonders or just favorite movie all it, it may be my f- favorite movie of all time wow know. so i'm curious about it i feel like i saw it and yeah, Wim Wenders is like I I loved Paris, Texas. I haven't actually seen that one. I did love it. I don't know how it stands up. I just I, that's one of those movies that you know it hit me at the at this particular point in my life when I had a whatever flavor of existentialist feeling and angst, and so it just hit me perfectly right. And then, um, and then I really liked Wings of Desire. Yeah, and I like I like that one a lot. Did, did you? And then every and then I, I, I sort of became a Wim Wenders freak. Um, but I, I he be, he became to me uh, a little bit like Jim Jarmusch. This loose, like I didn't know what he's, I didn't know what he was trying to do with films anymore. Like I felt in Paris, Texas, and Wings of Desire, I knew what he was trying to do. Yeah. But in his other movies, and in some of his earlier movies too, I could I could feel it. Uh, but then later, I just I sort of not, I wasn't able to track it. I mean, I still like the movies, but it didn't have kind of this, you know, majestic internal potency that I sensed in these other these other films. And I don't know if it's because I was just looking for the same thing. You know, I was looking for whatever the emotional feeling of Paris, Texas or, or Wings of Desire that whatever I'm looking for those things again and these these other movies are giving something different and I'm rejecting it or whether he's confused in his art or, or you know yeah I, I haven't seen I don't think I've seen that many movies I saw the both the Wings of Desire and the follow-up and I, I saw uh, Until the End of the World and I'm trying to think I must have seen at least one other but it's like um, I'll t- I I think I know what you mean because there's a guy who another director who I sort of had the same kind of gradual falling out with who was uh Peter Greenaway. Did you ever see his stuff? Yeah, yeah. Well, um he always left me very cold, but I I thought his stuff was really beautiful and you know, he was like a in David Lynch land <laughs> in some ways. So it was like blue velvet, you know, these really compellingly atmospheric unique worlds yeah um that to me always kind of twisted my guts up and i wasn't sure <laughs> whether i appreciated that right uh, there, there's some cartoon by someone that shows like the a flow chart of a david lynch film and it says you know there's a point at which one of the bubbles reads this is the point at which the audience starts to fear the movie <laughs> <laughs> that's funny and I think he insists on that, you know, he really wants to scare you. Not, and not even like, like he, at some point during the movie, you start to um, fear that you won't get out of it alive and sane. Right. Well, I think that idea, I mean, it's with the Greenway too, like you begin to fear the object of the movie itself and you, it'd be, right. it's, like they make it an unfamiliar object. Right. You know, where, you know, you go see Iron Man 2 yeah. You don't even think about it. You're just in this dumb yeah. land. Yeah. But in the David Lynch or the Peter Greenway thing, there's this complete sort of uh, removal of, they somehow they remove your ability to have your own psychology. 
Yeah. And you're yeah. struggling to keep your identity intact. It's like it's like you if you accept the premises one by one, suddenly you realize what the conclusion is gonna feel like and you're like, No, no. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's, they they lead you along in these yeah. um uh it's the 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 decisions that the movie itself makes become your own decisions, but they wouldn't have been outside it. Yeah. And it almost drives you insane yeah. in this in a very surface way. And I think that's that's an uneasiness that they like to explore. It's almost like they want to pull you down these crazy hallways. Yeah. And remind you that, you know, it's not that it wouldn't be that hard. You know, it's not you're not that intact. You can be you can be tweaked. Right. Well, we were sort of talking about this with Isaac because he's at this interesting uh, age where his ethics are forming, you know, his mm. moral compass is, is being set and all that. And um, he's always talking about these contrived, like, ethical questions, like the, you know, the train's hurtling down the tracks and you can save... Uh, you can save a school bus full of, of children by pulling the lever and sending the train, you know, into this deaf old man or whatever, you know, things like that. Mm. And Grace and I, we have been talking to him about how, you know, from our perspective, these, uh, these contrivances are always basically designed to break down your, your sort of your inherent moral stance against mm. against doing something bad in in the guise of doing something for the greater good right yeah they they are diabolical yeah they because the it's not they're not trying to see whether uh you have the good in you to do good but whether uh, under what circumstances would you do bad right right and and making you accept that they want you to accept that you'll murder someone because, in this case, it needs to be done. Yeah. Um, and, and in some ways, that uh, you know, that's the the question itself is unethical. Yeah, that's that's sort of how how we're framing it. That that mm -hmm. um, you know, basically, I think you know, you have you have gut level feelings about things that are about things that are right and wrong and. Uh, we haven't really come up with better answers. Like, come, you know, doing math on people's lives and calculus about saving this many people versus this many people isn't necessarily better, <laughs> you know? Well, I think, it, yeah, it just seems like you can... It, it, it seems like the, the, the truer um, exploration is to both see maybe the implications of the choices but rather rather than making a choice itself yeah um i don't know i i'm infuriated in some ways by moral conundrums yeah because it's they're they're a setup and they they seem they're so inviting because they're there's something you want to figure out you know what i do that what i and you you know I don't know. I think he's he's drawn to them because he's in this uh, stage where his brain is growing very rapidly, and he likes to exercise it on everything he can. Mm. How how old is he? <laughs> he's seventeen. Mm. So yeah, that's that's a good time to do that. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe I'll use a bit of. Cause that's that seemed kind of interesting. I don't, I don't know. You're probably wondering what the hell I'm doing, trying to talk to you all the time, but uh, or at least quarterly or something. But um, no, it's just you know, it's like a same reason why I do the, you know, the radio ghost thing. It's kind of just to do something. Yeah, I think that's most of that's that's most of it. Um, I don't don't have a lot of adult conversation. <laughs> yeah. We have you have five kids, is that right? Yeah, it's That's five. a lot of kids. Yeah, and um I'm so I'm so very I mean the situ the reason she's gone is not great cuz we had to take Sam down for some special dental stuff, but um but uh 
uh, he, he'll be all right. I mean, but um, the fact of having uh, like 48 hours uh, by myself, it's almost so exhilarating that it, I, uh-huh. it makes me a little crazy. Yeah, I can see that. So, like, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm <laughs> last night. I you know I start. I have this huge backlog of projects and stuff I want to work on and things I want to do. But instead, it like last night it turned into I built a fire. It finally got warm because the house is pretty cold, and then um, sat down on the couch and wa- did something I almost never do, which is watch an entire movie all the way through to the end without pausing it or interruptions. <laughs> what was it? What was the movie? Uh, it was, it was actually as, um, what was it? Farscape peacekeeper wars or something. No, no, it wasn't great, but I kind of wanted to see how the story ended. Mm. I'd never seen like the end of the Farscape story arc. Mm. No, that's a sweet thing to do when you're alone. And then I was gonna like work on, just gonna play guitar for a while, and I kind of just dozed off on the couch <laughs> in front of the fire. But that's so rare, you know. It's uh, it's well, that's how it is with these when you have your little free time. You know, yeah. it seems like it's a lot, and then it's over quick, and you don't get to do. You get to do some things, you know, but it is, it's only a couple things. It is over quick, yeah. So I'm trying to prioritize and make a list, and then you can wind up spending all your time making the damn list. So, right. So. Anyway, one of them, one of them I wanted to do. I'm trying to get, uh, I gotta get in touch with this guy Peter Watts too. I want to talk to him, but I want to talk to. I've been. I don't know what I'm doing with the podcast. It's a hobby thing. I don't know the first thing about you know SEO and social media promotion and all this, but uh, I don't either. But eventually, I'd like it to be a little more regular and a little more, uh, you know like have a handful of interesting people that I, you know, call up once in a while. Mm. That way it doesn't take up too much of their time, but uh, turns out I don't want to have it to be a real talk show, but like uh, I interviewed um, someone else I met through one of the songwriting contests. Her name is uh, Denise Hudson. She's a independent musician in Austin, and I never would have met her if not for all that, you know. No, yeah, yeah. So we're also, uh, she and I have been scheming to try and get this guy, Joe Covenant, out from Scotland to get him mm. to visit the U.S. and uh, maybe record an album or at least uh, spend a week or something. How did you uh, How did you sort of hook up with him? Uh, that started out because of uh, a group that formed in the forums of jonathancolton.com. Mm. His, uh, they were recruiting people to form a, a cover band, basically a virtual cover band. Mm. And that's this idea that everyone in their respective uh, home studios, some which some of them are just, you know, a laptop and nothing else, right. uh, would record parts and then submit them all into a big pot and then someone would pick out the parts and... Uh, mix them together into songs. So I worked, hmm. worked on that for a while, and uh, that was interesting. That song, uh, that creepy doll uh, instrumental mm-hmm. with that I made, made this sort of bizarre video out of, uh, that I mixed out of a whole bunch of other people's submitted tracks. Hmm. So, no, I like that one, yeah. I thought the Simon and Garfunkel cover was really good, too. Yeah, that that was th- that was him, right? That was Joe. That was Joe. He yeah, that was all his vocals, and then I did all the music parts. Yeah, that sounded really good. Yeah, I I like the way that came out. It's hard to get him to um, to focus uh, on like uh, let's refine it, you know, because that's like he he likes to bang through things and be done and move on, and I, I like to polish them a little more. Mm. but not not indefinitely but uh i don't know and it's i feel like if i got him out here in person i could stick him in front of a mic and you know we could record in the same room and that would be an improvement (laughs) Mm. right (laughs) so i don't know but then yeah so we have these vague ideas for like like a songwriting recording workshop and or uh you know something uh some kind of thing either get 
get people together to record like three song EPs or work on an album or at least record tracks and then work on an album later or something. I don't know. Hmm. So. Well, it seems like you kind of, you're, I've seen pictures of your, your music studio. It looks like you have some stuff there. I have. Is that the idea? Like you're kind of building a little studio? Yeah, it is. It's, uh, Right now, the sound insulation isn't quite finished, but I'm sort of gradually working on that. And the guitar situation got a little out of control. I started collecting them, basically, like, uh, you know, cards in a card game. What does Grace think of that? Well, she thinks she should probably get rid of some of the guitars. (laughs) Looking for certain models, and I was hoping... I had a vague plan of, like, instead of putting money in the stock market, I would buy these cheap guitars and hope that they... Uh, appreciated in value oh that's such a great plan (laughs) it's so it's so sweet foolproof yeah yeah well it's not foolproof like that's that's like buying like uh you know action figures yeah boxes and hoping exactly one day yeah superman so i guess none of them star Star wars figures Uh, well, some of them have, but the problem is that while the prices they go for have gone up, the market for used guitars has collapsed. So there's like, everyone's broke. So, uh, they are, um, if someone does buy a Squire Supersonic now that it's, uh, 12 years old or so, they might be willing to pay more than I did but there's very few people with money buying instruments. Right. So I don't know. I, if you take them to like a guitar center or something and try and get them to buy it, they'll offer you just this insulting price, you know, Mm. but uh, anyway, some most, you know, not some of them, the plan was to fix them up and keep them. And so there are, you know, there will be at least a dozen that I keep and play. I hope. Unless I really go broke and need to start selling everything at fire sale, you know, prices. But uh, my dad, when he saw them he in the storage unit, he uh, he said, well, this is what happens when your son asks you for a guitar when he's 16 years old and you won't buy it for him. <laughs> is that what happened? <laughs> that, that, yeah, he, I was asking him when I was a kid for a guitar and somehow... Uh, he didn't want to buy me one, and so therefore, somehow, I had a unresolved. I don't know. I don't know if that's true, or maybe I just like I, I just have obsessions, you know. Hmm. So, hmm. but uh, yeah, it is. A, it is like a home studio, and uh, I don't. It's not. It's big enough for two people to work in, but not like a a band. You couldn't record a bit, like a drum set in here. Hmm. It would be D- don't you have a drum set in there? I have one drum. Oh, is that all? <laughs> I know I saw some sort of drummy. That's a, it's a snare drum. I actually I got it for my son to practice on when he was part of a, a high school band, and then uh, he wasn't playing it anymore, so I brought it back up. But, uh, I can't really play it except, like, I told... Uh, I told Denise, she who actually studied percussion, I learned I taught myself how to do drum rolls on an upside down peanut butter tub when I was marching in protest of uh, the uh, war in Iraq. Hmm. <laughs> also, in uh, when Borders Number One, when the workers were on strike for higher wages, I was marching in front of Borders. When was that? Uh, to when was that Good question might have been 2003 2000, uh, 2003 or so are all the borders closed or just some oh, they're all gone uh, I mean I didn't love borders but that was like one of the we don't have a lot of bookstores around you know, we had one down that was we had a borders down in Concord yeah. I like that it was there yeah now borders when I uh, saw the first Borders was on State Street, Borders Number 1. I think it opened in 1979 or something like that on State Street in Ann Arbor. And when I 
was looking around at Ann Arbor after college uh, around 1989-1990. I loved that place, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to move to Ann Arbor. It was a fantastic bookstore. Mm. I don't know why some of they they can't just keep some, you know, because I'm sure some of them are viable. And then, but instead, they just destroy the whole thing. It's, it's strange. It's they all become they all blowed up, and then you know, one city that could support one now has three. You know, or something. But why can't they go back to just having one? Like, why do they have? To, it seems like in the long run, they could do a thing where we, they say, "Okay, well, we have three hundred borders. We'll get rid of two hundred ninety of them. Yeah. Then we'll I, have ten that make money." And then we'll slowly build up again instead of destroying the whole thing and, you know, liquidating everything. Seems like you keep those 10, let them struggle on. Uh, well, why not? I, don't, I guess then the, the name brand doesn't die and they have the possibility of becoming borders again. Yeah. I don't know. Somehow it, it I think somehow it hinges on the real plan of the people running it, which was never to make a sustainable business, but to extract as much money from the the implosion as possible. Mm. I don't know, mm. but it's 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 tremendously aggravating because it was a um, it was a great place, a great independent bookseller, and Saginaw doesn't have an independent bookseller. You know, I mean, it's got a there's a little tiny place that sells Harlequin romances, used Harlequin romances, you know, in a strip mall, but. Um, not, oh, like an airport bookstore? No, like it's it's like um, it's a little used bookstore where things are in bins and piles and buckets. Mm. Except they don't have much that's good. But uh, that's another. That would be something I, I kind of could see myself really loving to do. Although apparently, as a way of earning a living, it's absolutely brutal. Uh, is you know, like, bookstore? Yeah, opening a little bookstore. Uh, that would be nice. It does seem, it seems like you'd sell a couple books a day, you know? Uh, yeah, there's a, but this, this is a walkable neighborhood. It seems like there ought to be people you could lure in if what you had to offer was, you know, a little bit unique. And Grace has a principle, like if you could have three businesses at the same address, then maybe you have a chance of making it. So like, uh, Maybe you have a bookstore and it's also a cafe, but then your real business is a mail order or something like that. Hmm. And then maybe you sell enough to pay the rent. What would, what would the real mail order business be? Well, it would, 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 be, would be used books, but you'd have a lot more inventory. In other words, you'd sell more through the mail than you would to walk-in customers. Oh, I see. Interesting. I don't know if that's actually viable here. And then, of course, you know, what are the costs of starting up something like that? But um, Well, it sounds like you thought about it. A little bit. That's about that much. (laughs) So, oh, I listened to your, your, uh, for some reason I just hadn't gotten through the last of like the second account stories. Uh, And I listened to the accidental apparition Oh yeah, yeah, you posted that one. And yeah. I, and I wasn't I was sort of just working in the kitchen while I was listening to it on my iPod through some speakers and I didn't really know what to expect and I just found myself like doing more and more dishes like then scrubbing the counters and then like cuz I I didn't want to stop and then uh. when it finally ended I was like, "Wow." Oh, that's I, nice. It was uh it actually scared me. <laughs> oh. so. I actually can't remember why that would be scary, but um, I I wrote that 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 was that originally was written to for Halloween for and was broadcast on New Hampshire Public Radio. Yeah, as like a Halloween story. So, and I think that was like one of the first. I mean, there may be there may have been frightening parts in, in other AMV episodes. Like I don't remember, but that was the first one where. I felt like I had to try to be a little scary. <laughs> it, it was very effective, and mm. uh, and I I don't know the uh, he he keeps going through stages where he's telling the story and you're not sure what's going on and you're still not sure what's going on. You're not sure whether he's awake or sleepwalking or what year it is or you know. And then it's sort of like uh, 
the question that, you know, I, I was a, a philosopher was dreaming about being a butterfly and when he woke up, he couldn't remember whether he was a, right, a butterfly yeah. or a philosopher, you know? Yeah. That sounds, that sounds like sort of like the premise. Yeah. It was, it was really to, uh, kind of have a story going on in the, in the front where you were seeing different things and then also kind of in the back, kind of a breakdown of, of the own, your, the narrative perspective. Yeah. So that you, you didn't exactly know where you were while you were seeing this other kind of mildly disturbing thing in the distance that you weren't sure about, like going down to the farmhouse and shoes. I can't remember what the story was really, but yeah. Um, so to sort of, you have these two things kind of working together. Yeah, and then it seems to like give you a sense of falling apart. Yeah, and then the actual events like are sort of only implied. It's not all resolved, you know. Like the what the exact details of what happened. I think all the clues are there, but you it leaves it to like you to concoct the scariest version imaginable in your own head. Oh, that, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> That makes it sound really good. <laughs> well, I, I thought it was it was great. It actually surprised me, and I know I think enough about how like stories are generally built that I didn't expect to be surprised quite like mm. I was. So oh, that's great. So I wish I could. I I wish I could. Uh, I find it very difficult to listen to anything ever again. Yeah. So I basically haven't listened to anything. I don't listen. I mean, I listen to them while I'm editing them, but I don't ever like listen to the whole thing as a piece. Yeah. Uh, and you know when it's weird when you write you write a, a story and then um, it has so many different possibilities, especially for somebody like me. I, and I just write very intuitively. Yeah. Um, and I don't work out any structures or anything like that. So a story can go in you know twenty or thirty different ways in my head. Right. And then I'll end up writing one of those ways. But still, all those other possibilities kind of sort of coexist. Yeah. In this, in this way that the actual story for me becomes very fuzzy and semi erased, and I can't really remember what happened unless I'm really forced to listen to it. And then I can go, oh, this is the thread of the narrative that I chose to follow. But for the most part, they're all kind of erased, and I don't know what, what happened. I think I mentioned that before to you that I don't remember them very well. Yeah, well, that that's, that seems to imply that they happen in this kind of dream logic, this sort of mental dream state, you know. I think I trust that for myself. Um, um, in a lot, in a, a good way, because I don't have. I think I'm not a highly rational thinker or a very reasonable thinker. Yeah, you know, I don't think I would make a good. I wouldn't make a good engineer or. I don't know what, but. You know, it's like the only way that I can come up with things is by not trying too hard and, and then trusting in some sort of background logic or whatever it is that to carry me forward. So I always feel really dumb in terms of the, the stories that are not like their worst expressor, at least in terms of like if I was going to give an elevator speech about it, I would fail. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, well, that that um, that seems like it applies to. uh Maybe the way the the AMV the six parter up, also the way that sort of wound up. Yeah, that, yeah. That I was thinking about that today too, and and thinking about how and sort of intriguing how I've listened to that several times and I'm still sort of putting the pieces together. Yeah, I don't I don't know how successful that whole six part story was. I mean, from my perspective, I don't know. You know, it's. I, I didn't go, I went into it, you know, thinking, you know, the, with the way that I go into things is with, uh, you know, I just jump out the airplane. Yeah. I, I was, um, I'm guessing, the best. I'm guessing you expected the conclusion to be a little more, uh, in the, like a little more action and not quite so much in yeah. the head. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But it, I, I think if I was, I think if I was, if I I hadn't done it in that uh, subscription type way, where people had paid for it, and I felt like I was in a, 
I think I would have done it quicker. <laughs> yeah. And I think I it would have been felt a little freer, but somehow, you know, because it was uh, people were paying for it, I I think that constricted me somewhat. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, maybe I wouldn't have been able to, but I, f I felt like I felt bad because I didn't feel like this was the best best series of stories I could uh, put out. I mean, I like I like parts of them, and I like some ideas, and I like I sort of like the movement of the whole thing and how it goes. Yeah. But but well, I, there's I, something missing in it. I it 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 really it does intrigue me, and I found especially a lot of the uh, the the sort of transition into the radio ghost and this big idea and the way the story kind of folds up uh, to be really beautiful. Mm. But I, I, it does feel like it, it, uh, it sort of goes out of the world and into a, into a very abstract place for a while. Yeah. I think it's just, it's, it's a matter of me just not, uh, you know, I think a certain amount of not knowing works for me. Yeah. And it works really well for me, but then if there's a little bit more not knowing, I can fall into a a, a place. <laughs> I can fall into a cereal box uh, that has no special prize. I do. I did want to ask: uh, How are you stocked for CDs? Do you still have a pile of these limited edition CDs you're wanting uh, to? Oh, after we've just said that it's not that good. <laughs> no, I I, I I wouldn't. Well, I wouldn't. Call, I would just say it's 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 a different feel. The well, actually, the first the first account it it has a huge sort of action climax and then a huge sort of 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 spiritual climax. Right. So, yeah. So it's sort sort of similar in that regard, but yeah. I w I wouldn't say I don't know. It's uh, don't That's take just my my thing. I don't I don't try try not I try to keep out of whether whether it's you know yeah its value or not. Um, yes we, yes there still are. Uh, I still have uh, uh, a good a good number. Okay. Yeah, there are two hundred total, and we had about a hundred subscribers. Okay. So uh -huh. so you did you really ship out a hundred sets or, or yeah about wow that's. That was a lot of work. It was hard. <laughs> okay, yeah. but you'd still uh, you'd still sell them to yeah to, definitely. So there, if if uh, someone came along wanting one, yeah, I mean you know there have been here and there people buy them. Okay, you know one a month or something. Somebody will will order the six of them. Um, I'll I'll. Uh, but I'm not really pushing it. I sort of feel like the, you know, like borders. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> This is my borders experience. Well, I'll invite people to, uh, to at least point them out to people that, that okay. this is available, but I won't, you know, pimp it as the greatest thing since sliced bread. But yeah, uh, I sort of, yeah, I kind of feel like uh, it's nothing. If, if it, you know, there's certain things. If I had, if I had put the whole first twenty four episodes together in some spectacular package, you know, I'd push that and I'd feel good about that. But you know, I don't. This is this was its thing, and it's. I think it was okay for what it was. But. Well, I I thought it had a, it's it's great moments. The overall thing winds up feeling slightly puzzling, but that's not that you know anyway. Right. But the so you also are uh, you're selling a ninety nine cent ebook of the first third of Kittery Umbers. Yeah, and actually, I'm trying. I'm hoping that this is my secret plan. I don't know if this is going to work. I have to experiment, but. I can I can re up like I could upload now a new version of uh, the Kittery Embers to that same title. Uh huh. Um, and I think that you could, you know, for example, if I'm I'm just about done with chapter eight, I could re upload the first eight chapters, and that would replace what's currently on Amazon. Oh, I see. So I'm sort of hoping that uh, for anybody who purchases, you know, the that it wouldn't be a three book purchase of 99, you know, 99 cents, 99 cents, but that you could actually just go and re-download it. Oh, really? Be the fuller. That's what I'm thinking. I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out if I can do that. Or does that like push automatic updates or something like that? It, I think you'd have to maybe delete it from your, I whatever see. your system, but you'd, you, since you have ownership, then you could re-download it and you download the version that was most recently 
you know, placed. Interesting. Okay. So, well, I was really pleased to see that you're still working on that because I really enjoy the story. And uh, you're, you've edited the text somewhat from what you originally recorded. Yes. Yeah, I did. I've, I've been, um, Tink- there was a tinkering with it. Yeah. I'm trying to sort of tighten it up a little bit. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know if that's working. I mean, what I'm hoping to do is work through the whole book Sort of quickly. I don't know what quickly, but six months or so. Try to get to the end. And then you and may you may want to revise backwards to have everything fit together. Yeah, and then sort of figure out how. Yeah, that's the and sort of let the let the rest of the book tell me how the front of the book should go, and then have whatever I change there. You know, sort of, sort of considering this a draft. Yeah, well, that in sounds a formal sense, but then you know. That sounds cool. That sounds great. Okay, I should let you go. Enjoy your your bachelor evening. Thanks. Bison steaks and asparagus soaked in bacon. Yep. All (laughs) right. Take care. Good night, Paul. Bye-bye.